Well, greetings, especially to those I have not got a chance to meet this morning. I want to bring you greetings today. Greetings from Halls Ferry Christian Church, where I serve as the associate pastor and, and work with youth and music there. Greetings from St. Louis Christian College, where uh, I teach, and if anybody's looking for a nearby college and if somebody wants some Bible education, I'm sure we can uh, find a place for you there. But also greetings from Parker Road Elementary. And maybe, I don't know if some of you have been there, but I know the church here uh, has done a lot volunteering at Parker Road, and that's where my children go to school at. And so I'm amazed at, at how uh, the church comes out, and I think uh, Rick's children go there as well. Uh, we, we, I didn't realize that he was the pastor here because I uh, know Dave uh, from several uh, years back when he was organizing all the chapel services at, at North County Christian. I, I always have to give a disclaimer because I have to appear to you very oddly because I'm a kind of Sunday's best kind of guy. I like to dress up all the time. But many years ago, I was challenged at a, at a junior high camp as a leader, and, and, and he brought up Exodus 3 about uh, holy ground. And he challenged us to, to take off our shoes. And, and I remember doing it, but yet it stuck with me that why would I just do it for one moment, but but rather do it all the time. And so I made this kind of covenant with God that if he could speak to me or through me, that I would make the ground holy by taking off my shoes. So I guess I kind of balance out the, the suit without the shoes. And so that makes me casual today. I was uh, ecstatic about the fact that uh, when Dave told me that you guys were doing a summer of songs and he gave me a list of the different ones that he had uh, done or that had been done, and I was shocked and, and very pleasantly surprised to know that he had not touched Psalm 23. And that's what we will touch today after we pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have brought us to this place. We thank you so much that your kingdom is so big, that we are, as a body of believers, worshiping in different places, in Florissant and Hazelwood and all of Missouri, all of the United States. But Father, not only that, we are as a body of believers, as your church, as your one people, we're worshiping in other countries all at the same time. And we just pray, Father, that right now that you would have a message to speak to our hearts and our minds right now as we go before you and your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I could only have been five at the oldest. I know that I could only have been five at the oldest because my mother and I were in a store shopping and we were actually in the women's department. My two older siblings were at school, so that's how I know I could not have been more than five because I was not at school with them. She said to me, son, stay with me. And um, I heard her, I understood her, and we were in the women's section, and I don't know if it was a, a pretty blouse with flowers or something, but somehow um, I got distracted. I was actually reminded of this a few years ago at a faculty meeting. We were meeting, uh, it was a faculty retreat, and we were meeting at this uh, faculty's uh, home that had these big windows, and they lived kind of out in the country, and you could see out there, and there were birds and, and, and squirrels and things out there. And, and the academic dean, he, he paused for a moment. I don't know what he was saying, <laughs> but it, when he paused, it seemed like the opportune time to state, I wonder how hummingbirds' wings flap so fast. 
To which he abruptly turned to me and said, are you ADD? So I asked about lunch. And uh, <laughs> I think it's the, my ability to get distracted. And, and I might have been trying to figure out the pattern in a blouse. But all of a sudden, I turn around and my mother was gone. I was lost. I was all alone. My safety and security was gone and I was desperate and I was frantic. And I wonder if any of us have felt that way. I wonder if any of us remember when we were a child and we got lost for the very first time. But I also wonder if any of us as adults maybe feel that way spiritually or in life that you are lost and you are exposed and you just want to feel safe and secure again. Actually, the context of Psalm 23 by some commentators is that very thing. You see, it's when David was, uh, Absalom, his son, rose up against him and then he left the kingdom and he fled. That some think that that is when he composed this Psalm 23. He was feeling lost and exposed and he turned toward God. They bribed me, I tell you. They bribed me. I was just a kid, and they promised me a king-sized baby roof if I could memorize Psalm 23. And, you know, I mean, that's it's not a snack size. It's not a regular. It's a king size. And, and I've always been one of those kind of people. If you offer me, say, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> Whenever something was lost, my parents lost their keys or something, if they offered me a dollar, I could find I was a bloodhound. It didn't matter where they were. I uh, score the depths, you know, <laughs> to the greatest height to find those keys for that dollar. My, my son will do it for donuts, but <laughs> those are expensive now too. But I memorized it, and it was in the King James Version, and I can still to this day, and that's what's amazing about it, I can still to this day kind of, kind of recite it. And some of us can recite it because it's probably one of the most famous, most familiar psalms to any of us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think as we remember that psalm, as we remember the realities there, that we will find some very important truths that can lead us back to safety and security. What we need to remember first is that God guides us. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of covenant, is my shepherd. I think that is very important for us to grasp because as we look in scriptures, we find that, that God is a corporate God. He will judge peoples and, and many people will suffer because of the overall crowd. But we also serve a God that somehow in, in his greatness, in his sovereignty, he cares about you as an individual. So we read that in scripture that as a, the kingdom is like a shepherd that has a hundred sheep and one is lost. He'll leave the 99 to go find the one. The Lord is my. And you can say that with confidence, that God is concerned for you. And 
He guides us. You see, there, there's those beautiful pictures there, right? He leadeth me, he, you know, he, he made me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. You see, he guides us in, in, in several ways. And, and what's interesting about that, I'm not a, a sheep guy. I'm not a big animal guy. We have a little dog. I'm allergic to cats, but I like cats better than dogs. I don't know how you feel about that. But uh, I do. But I'm allergic, so we can't have one. Uh, mainly it's because they take care of themselves, uh, I think. But uh, supposedly these sheep, sheep will not lay down while they're still hungry. So they have to be led to these green pastures where there's new growth, where they can be fed before they lay down. Not only that, I, I hear, I don't know, I'm not an expert, I don't raise sheep. I have been to Little Creek, I've, I've been to the zoo, I've seen the animals out there, you know. The, you know, sheep, are, they are some ugly creatures actually. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry if any sheep lovers are in here. But also they will not drink running water. And I don't know if this is true, but, you know, I just listen to other people that, that say these things. And so I, I think about this when, as being a parent. As being a parent, when your child needs their medicine or they need to eat their vegetables... You know, we can take the old traditional approach that my dad took. He was a drill sergeant, and he would beat it into, you're going to eat this. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to beat you, or you're going to go to bed starving, and, and I don't care. You know, they, they cared, I, I think, but that's, at least that's how they made you feel. And we'll take that, that medicine, and we'll make plain sounds. You know, we'll do it, whatever we can to make sure that our child gets what they need. And that's what a shepherd does. The shepherd guides us and, and takes care of our needs. And, and the reality is, is this. I think one person had said that sin is this. Sin is trying to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. Behind each of our sins, we're trying to meet a specific need. And the problem is when we try to meet our own needs in our own way, we get ourselves in trouble and we often are not satisfied the way that we should be. I think of, of Luke 12 when uh, Jesus is teaching and um, a man comes up to him. He says, you know, teacher, tell my brother to split our inheritance. And Jesus said, well, who made me the, the judge between the two of you? But he tells him a story about a man who uh, had some very good crops. And the very good crops, he thought to himself, you know, I got these great crops. My barns are too small. What am I going to do? So he decides he'll tear down his barns, build bigger barns so he can store everything up. And I'll just eat, drink, and be merry for the rest of my life. And Jesus says, uh, as he continues on, you fool. Tonight, your life will be demanded of you, and who's going to get your stuff? And he says it's going to be like this for everybody who stores up treasure on earth and forgets about treasures in heaven. And he follows that up with the passage that we're familiar, or the concept, the teaching that we're familiar with uh, in, in Matthew 6. Do not worry. See, we're not supposed to worry about the things of these wor this world. God will take care of our needs. God will make sure that we have exactly what we need. And that's what that word, I shall not want, doesn't mean that I will not have any desires. What it means, I will lack nothing. I will, God will take care of my needs. And that's what it means that, you see, he, he guides us to the resources that, that we need. Not only that, he, he guides us to renewal. He guides us. He restores my soul. He brings me life again. My life is renewed. You see, life can get us down, right? Life can beat us up where we can feel dead and we can feel beaten down and we can feel like we just don't want to get up another day. Sometimes it's just life and sometimes it's the bad choices that we make. But any way you look at it, we almost feel dead. I remember her name at, the, at that point in time was uh, Michelle, 
Michelle Gauze. I, don't, I forgot what her last name is now, but this is way back when I was in high school. And, and uh, I knew her in junior high, but she came back through. Her dad was in the military. I'm from a military uh, town, and her dad had, had moved, and, 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 and she came back one day, and she had really gotten into drama. And so she had, had asked me if I would help her do a little skit. And the way that this skit worked was, here she was, as a, you know, a pretty little girl frolicking around, you know, <laughs> she's frolicking, and, and I was this, this guy, this irresistible man. I know it's hard for you to grasp, but I was much better looking then, I think, but uh, <laughs> at least that's what my mother tells me. <laughs> and she would be frolicking around, but then she, I was so irresistible that she would come by and I would try to get her attention, and, and she would see me, and, and before you know it, I would ask for her heart, and so she would pull out her heart, and she would give it to me, and, and I would have it, and I would throw it in the air, and I would play with it, and I would take a bat, and I would hit it, <laughs> and smash it on the ground, and she was crushed. Her heart was broken. Her life was over, but yet she heard the voice of God, and so she went and she picked up the pieces and she lifted it up to God and, and he threw her back down a new heart and there she was with it. And there I was, irresistible. She can't resist me. And so I asked for her heart again and she gives it to me. And before you know it, I play with it for a while and, and then I throw it on the ground and I stomp on it. And she's crushed again. But, but she hears the voice of God and then she picks up the pieces and she lifts it up to God and He gives her a new heart. He restores her life until finally she becomes smart. And as I try to get her heart from her, she realizes that her heart belongs to God, that it is in him that she will find true life, true renewal. And although she had made mistakes and although she had been beaten down by this bad man, she found new life. She was restored. And that's what we find is that he guides us and provides for us in restoring us, renewing our lives. Not only that, he guides us in righteousness. And that he, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Literally, the, the path there is a word for a, a, a path, that, a ground that has been trodden, a ground that has, has, people have walked on. If you've ever been out in the woods where they have trails and things, you can tell that, that because people go along these trails that it's, it's worn down. And, and what does that mean? That people have gone before us. He leads us in the path of righteousness. You see, it's amazing that we serve a God that became a man to walk how we walk, to live where we live, to do the things and to resist the things that we too are supposed to resist. Our God says, I want you to walk this way and let me show you how. I make a lot of mistakes, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I know how to, you know, to, to lead the receiver in Madden 2013, but I don't know a lot about important things like cars. <laughs> Blame it on the fact that I'm a youth minister. But I remember I, I had this, this, uh, this problem, you see, my, my car, I'm trying to get better at it, you know, this light was flashing on my dashboard, and that's a bad thing, I, I, and it, those of you that don't know, it's a bad thing when there's lights flying. So I'm, I'm trying to be smart about it. So I, I get the little manual in the, in the glove box, and I'm like, okay. Uh, all right. So, okay, when the light is flashing, this is what it says. Stop driving immediately and have your car serviced. Well, I thought, well, it's, it's kind of, it was coming on and off, and maybe it's just a problem, it's, you know, and, and what ended up happening is, that um, 
It's actually ironic how it happened because I was pulling back on the campus of the college and I saw that this car was stopped. Some of our students' car had broken down. So I get out and I help them. They had one of the big old like 1970s boats. Help them push it in the heat of the day. And, uh, you know, get it pushed up and back up there and get them situated. And I go back to my car and it doesn't start. <laughs> Are you serious? You know, are you serious? I'm trying to do a good deed here. And so my car, <laughs> get back here. I'm trying to help other people, and I don't even know how to keep my own car running. So I have to call my wife, and, and, and basically it had something to do with the battery because it wouldn't keep a charge. And so here we are at, at um, St. Louis Christian College, and we were going to Firestone. It's actually just, it used to be right down the road here, just, just right down the road. And so we're at St. Louis Christian College there at, at uh, Waterford and Dunn Road. Okay, that's where we're at. So I've got to get it to Firestone. And so my car only lasts, the charge only lasts for about 15, 20 seconds. So we're sitting there and we charge it and we charge it and we charge it. And um, what ends up happening is, is that it keeps stopping. And so my wife has to pull around and, and charge it for a little bit. And I try to drive for like a, a quarter of a mile and then it's dead again. I mean, it's like... Uh, my wife, she's so, so gracious that she would uh, do that for me. And here's the thing. We're at Washington. You know where Washington crosses New Florissant? I, you know, I'm charging it up, charging it up, charging it up, wait for the light to turn green, okay? And so I get it charged, but as soon as I get in the car, I get ready to go, it turns red. And then, so I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, please, 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 please. It turns green, and as soon as it turns green, my car dies again. So I have to, <laughs> you know how it is when you're, you're, you're broke down. People don't have any patience with you. They're honking. And here, I have to get out of the car. It's not a huge car. It's just a Chevy Cavalier. But here I am pushing my little Chevy Cavalier all by myself across uh, New Florissant with all the world to see. How embarrassing. And isn't that so true of us? We find ourselves lost and exposed because we don't, follow the directions that we've been given. We don't follow the guidance that God has given us through his spirit and his word. He is our shepherd and he will guide us. And I think it's one uh, important thing that we recognize is that he does it for his namesake. He does it for his namesake because in two different ways I think it's very important because how his, the, the state, the condition of his sheep reflect on him. You see, God, you, God is concerned with your life. God cares about you, and he is a God of covenant, a God of promise, and he promises to take care of you. And if he does not deliver, then his promises, his covenant is void. He's not the God that he says he is. All throughout the Old Testament, that's what we see, is God setting himself apart as the one true God of all the world, of all of us. But I think it's also important in this because he does it for his namesake because how we act reflects on him. Parents, we know this when our children, uh, we were uh, at some friend's house, uh, some of my wife's friends, and there were a lot of kids running around, and, and this funny thing happened. I, I guess I didn't really think it was that funny. But my, my son was being stubborn that day. Uh, never happens usually, but <laughs> just in public. Uh, my son was being stubborn that day, and, and, and he was acting up, and then I know if this has happened to you, it's really frustrating. The lady turns, there's a lady there, I didn't really know her or anything. She turns to me and she goes, I wonder who he gets that from. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> but you can't do that. <laughs> so I, you know, I turned to him, you better start acting right because you're making us look bad. 
guilty, but, but God does it for his namesake because it's about, it's about what he's, he is fulfilling his promises and secondly, about us reflecting him. Most of the world is not against God because of God. They're against God because of us, because of how Christians, because the institution of religion have treated them and how they've acted in the world. You see, when we read Psalm 23, we recognize the real truth that God guides us. Not only does he guide us, but he guards us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. See, I love, in, in, in actually in Luke uh, 12 as well, Jesus tells them, you, you know who you ought to fear? Don't fear the one that can kill the body and after the body is gone can do nothing. But fear the one after the body is dead can throw your soul into the fire. Actually, in the Old Testament, that word fear, three-fourths of the time is used of God. You see, we should revere and reverence God. He's the big man on the block, <laughs> That's who we should ultimately fear. And if God is on our side, we have nothing to worry about. My, my children have graduated from, like, Nick Jr. You know, they're seven and nine. They've graduated from Nick Jr. You know, Dora and Diego and the Backyard Agains. The, and, and now they, they still actually watch some of the cartoons that, that I watched when I was a kid. Like Tom and Jerry. Now, I found when you're watching it as an adult, you find that it's not really as innocent as a cartoon as you might think. But there's one particular one that was on. They were just watching uh, Tom and Jerry the other day. There was one particular that, that I remember, and it was this. You remember Spike? Spike was the bulldog with the, the, the spikes around his, his neck. And, you know, I, he was a dog, and he could talk. Tom and Jerry couldn't talk. I never understood why the dumbest animal is the one that can talk. But, you know, <laughs> it's Spike, this particular episode, Spike found himself caught by the dog catcher, and he's in the back. You remember this one? And then here comes little Jerry the mouse. You know, Jerry the mouse like, hey, what? He's, hey, 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 little mouse, come over here, help me out. And so Jerry lets him out of the back of the dog catcher. He, he, lets him, he sets him free, and at this point in time, what happens is Spike is so endeared to him. Spike is so appreciative, he gives him a whistle. He says, little man, you take this whistle, and whenever you need me, whenever you need help, whenever you're in trouble, you just blow that whistle. Toot. And so Jerry, you know, wow, he's got a whistle. So Tom the cat, as usual, comes around. He needs to get, he wants to eat Jerry. You know what I'm saying? He wants to eat Jerry. I don't know what Tom ate, but he never got to eat Jerry. So he, I, he, I guess he doesn't eat a whole lot of food. But so Jerry has the whistle. And, and every time Tom comes around, Toot! and here comes Spike. Boom, 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 boom. You know, beating up Tom. And, and Tom doesn't learn his lesson. He just keeps on coming. And so that's the kind of thing that we have. We have this reality. We have this excitement. We have this, this, the realization that God will come to our aid, that he will protect, he will guard us. And, and Jerry got a little too, uh, he got a little too um, big for his britches, if you remember how the cartoon ends, because Spike gets caught again. And there he is trying to blow the whistle, chasing the back of, of the dog catcher, and then Tom's coming after him. You see, that's how we have. We have a God that will protect. We have a God that will guard us. And he does it in, I think, two very important ways. And one way he guards us is he guards us in our defense. He defends us. You see, thy rod and thy staff, they come for me. The rod there, although it's a word used for scepter, it was also used 
of this uh, more of a club that the, the shepherds had. They had a club that they would use this club to, to fight off all the animals. They'd thump them over the head. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know about you, but when I see a, a, a dog, if I've got a bat in my hand, I'm pretty, I'm pretty comfortable. The <laughs> dog ain't messing with me. Uh, but here's the thing, okay? He, he would have that and he would protect them. But sometimes what happens is we get ourselves away from the protection of shepherd. It just happened this spring. There were some, some friends, actually uh, a, a girl that was in my daughter's class. They, they were moving. They're moving away. I don't know if they've moved yet or anything. Uh, but they, they were having friends over to kind of have a goodbye party. And so what happened was my, my son, they invited him as well because he's younger and they also have a child that was in kindergarten. And, and so he was there and he was playing. And my son, because I'm a youth pastor, he gets to be around older kids a lot. He comes and, you know, older kids at church try to be nice to the little kids and let them win and things like that. So my son doesn't recognize that what you get away with at church, you know, like being all bold and stuff and talking trash, we call it talking trash. To you can't do that. So he's always trying to be cool. You know, he's only seven. Well, the, the girl had an older brother that was in seventh grade, I believe it was. He was at least in middle school. Well, what happened is I'm, I... I have no shame in it. I am probably overprotective, but they're my kids, and I'm going to protect them, all right? So I'm not going to leave my children at somebody else's house. So, you know, the mom said, well, you can just leave them here and come back and get them. Well, that's okay. I got some stuff I can do. I'll just sit in the car, and I'll read, you know, because I need to be close to my children. So they're, they're parked in the, there are two cars parked in the driveway, and they were in the back, and so I was parked on the street, and I could see back there, and I'm trying to be less protective. I don't want to hover over my son to always protect him. And, but this is the thing, okay? They came out, and I saw that this older boy was kind of getting annoyed at this little seven-year-old and stuff. And, and, and then they moved on the other side. The group of boys moved on the other side. And, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm feeling real uneasy, but I'm trying not to hover. You know I'm trying to, I don't want to hover over him. I want him to feel like he's, he's free and, and he can live life. You know, he's just seven, but, you know, I, I'm trying to help him out here. Well, I hear them talking and this, that, and the other, and then all of a sudden it gets quiet, and that's bad as a parent. If you ain't a parent yet, you know it's bad when it's, it gets quiet in the house. There's supposed to be noise. It, somebody did something wrong if, there's, if it's quiet. But I, I saw the, the guy said something to, to him, and then next thing I know, I see my son's face pressed up against the car. Like, I see, I see his face, that goes in, and then it goes away, and I'm like, that's not— I, what, I don't think that's a good thing. And, and then, you know, I wait for a second. Then I come out. I finally like, oh, okay, you've had enough time on your own. Okay, daddy's here. <laughs> so I get out of the car and I come around the corner. And this older boy is yelling at my son because they had a three-year-old there. They had a three-year-old. And this older boy, because he wanted to maybe teach my son a lesson, had pushed him up against the car. And then he took his arms and held him behind his back. And he had the three-year-old hit my son in the face. Mm. 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 And I had to discover all this, but the only thing that I could do in, in, in my Christianity was get my kids. It's time to go. <laughs> We're not staying here because it, it. But, but the thing was is that he had gotten outside. He had gotten away from his defense. He had gotten away from his protection. We tell him, if somebody's mean to you, if somebody says something, come find an adult, come find your parent. And there I was, I was right there, which is really what frustrated me with this, this, this boy, that he would do that. He knew I was sitting in the car out there. 
And then he got mad at my son because he grabbed the little boy and said, don't hit me anymore afterwards. See, we get out of the defense of God. We find ourselves wandering away from him. God is here to defend us. God is here to protect us. But he also guards us in another way. He guards us in another way, and that is by disciplining us. He directs us, and that's what the, the, the staff was for. The staff would, would sometimes prod or it would guide them into the place that they need to go, and that's what we need. We need to be disciplined. We need to be directed so that we live the life that God has called us to live. And, and what can happen so often is that we ignore his direction. We ignore what he has told us in the scriptures and how to live and how to walk, and that gets us in trouble, and that is where we find ourselves lost and exposed because we have failed to follow the discipline that God gives us. I had a student in our AIM program. Our AIM program is called Adults in Ministry. It's for, you know, people with jobs and they want to go back and get some Bible college uh, training. And, and um, we, we have some, some foreign students there and there was a woman from Africa and we were talking about uh, discipline this night. I think it was a Christian education class. And we were just talking about discipline and she told us this story from her country. There was a, a mother who had a son, and her son, she let him do whatever he wanted to do. There are some parents that parent that way. Bad idea. And what had happened is this son would do whatever he wanted, and, and obviously if he thought he could do whatever he wanted, he would go and he would commit crimes and he would do things. And, and like someone that thinks that way, someone who acts that way, he found himself in prison. One day the mother goes to visit him in prison. And what happens is, is as he's there shackled, he says, come, come closer. I want to tell you something. And she gets closer. To, come closer. I want, to, I, want to, I want to tell you something. And she gets a little closer to the, the point of that she's leaning right into him, right next to him. And he bites off her ear and shouts at her, if you would have taught me these things were wrong, I would not be here. See, as a parent, it's a real struggle for me because I had a drill sergeant as a father. And see, my drill sergeant, I was very compliant, and primarily because I saw my older siblings get in trouble. That's a good thing when you have older siblings and you see them get whooped. You take mental notes. <laughs> when dad says, do this, that's how it works. And you, you avoid a lot of the discipline that you get. The problem is, as a parent, I'm a very... Uh, I'm not a good disciplinarian. I'm more of a protector. You know, if you do something to hurt my or my siblings, my children fight each other, then don't you hit your brother, don't you hit your sister, that type of thing. But I'm not a good disciplinarian. I just say it and expect them to do what I say. And I find that the reality is that that's my job as a father, that's my job as a parent, that I'm supposed to train up the child so that they know the right things to do. They don't have the, you know... They didn't have a drill sergeant father. I'm a youth pastor. I like to have, I like to have fun and games and, and things like that. But the reality is I am responsible for that, and that's a very difficult thing, and that's the realization for us, is that God guards us by disciplining and directing us to raise us and, and see us live the lives that will bring us into the glory and the goodness that he had intended for us. You see, the Lord is our shepherd, and we shall not be in want. You see, he guides us and he guards us. But not only that, he glorifies us. He exalts us. He lifts us up. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth 
over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, he, he glorifies us. He lifts us up. He exalts us in two ways at least. One of those ways is vindication. Do you know what that means? You see, when he prepares uh, a table before you in, in the presence of your enemy, he has selected you. He has affirmed you in that sense, and he has established you in the presence of your enemy. Are you familiar with the story of Esther? You remember the story of Esther, you know, the, the, the Jews are in exile and uh, King Xerxes, he, he kicks his wife out and, and all of a sudden, he, you know, he's searching for a wife, he finds Esther. Well, Esther is related to Mordecai. Mordecai serves the king. He serves at his gate. Well, Mordecai uh, had an, an arch enemy, Haman. You remember the story in, in Esther 6? And, and Haman was so disgusted with Mordecai that he devised a plan to get rid of the entire Jewish people, Right? Well, in one particular instance, this is what really is, is really cool to me, because Haman ends up seeing uh, Mordecai, and he's so frustrated with Mordecai because Mordecai will not worship him. He will not exalt him. And Haman's like, I'm the, the biggest, I'm the biggest and the baddest, I'm the most important person, and you need to bow before me, and you need to respect me, and Mordecai, I, I, no, I respect God. And so he's already devised this plan, and he goes home so angry, he tells his wife, and he tells his friends what takes place, and they say, you know what you should do? You know what you should do? You should build some gallows right now, and you need to go tell the king to take Mordecai and hang him on those gallows. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And all the while, you see, when this is taking place, the king can't sleep. And so Haman the next day goes there, but while he's doing all this, the king is not able to sleep. And the king, he says, why don't you read me some of the annals, read me some of the chronicles of, of what's gone, what's taking place. And as, as it was being read, is, it is being read when Mordecai, the king is saved from an assassination plot, and it was Mordecai that saved him. And he says, you know, I never really sent him a, a card at Christmas time. You understand? That's what we do. Just, just, you know, we send people cards that say thank you. I never really sent him a thank you card. What can, what can I do? What can I do? He, he's like thinking, I, he's the king, but he can't think for himself. And he's like, who, who's out in my court? And they said, oh, oh, Haman's out there. Okay, bring him in here. Bring Haman in here. And he, and he sits Haman down. And you know, Haman's very arrogant because Haman is the only person that's been invited to Esther's house for dinner, right? He's, I'm the only one that the, the queen invited. He doesn't know what's going on. But Haman is there, and the king says to Haman, he says, what should I do for someone the king is pleased with, someone I want to honor? And Haman's thinking in his mind, he's like, he's got to be talking about me. So he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to get the hookup. I'm going to be lifted up and glorified. So he says, you know what you should do, king? What you should do is uh, you should take one of your robes, one that you've worn, you know, like the king's robe. And, and you should take one of your horses that, that you have rode, one of the king horses. And then you should put that, that robe on him and you should put him on the horse and, and you should parade him through the town. And, and you should have someone announce, this is what the king does for someone he's pleased with. The king's like, yeah, yeah, I like that. All right, Haman, I need you to go get Mordecai and do everything that you just said. Can you imagine the humiliation that Haman had to feel at that moment in time? Probably not as bad as the humiliation he felt when he was hanging from those same gallows later on. But that's the thing, and that's what Haman was referred to, that very same word. He was referred to as the enemy of the Jews. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemy. And so we see that Mordecai was vindicated. Mordecai was vindicated in front of his enemy. He did not have to fight for himself because the good shepherd was taking care of him. Not only does he 
glorify us. Not only does he do that in the sense of vindication in the presence of our enemy, but he also affirms us. He glorifies us through vindication and through affirmation. Is there anybody here that doesn't need an attaboy, girl? Is there anyone here that doesn't need to know that you're loved and, and cared for, that you have been accepted, that you have been brought in? And that's exactly what's being taking place with the anointing. It says, you make my head fat with oil. That's what the word means. You make my head fat, just, just soak up. And it, it got to be, you can't use that much, that much perfume, but apparently they did back then because they didn't take baths the same as we do. You, you, my cup is, is just overflowing because you affirm me, because you have selected me. My dad was a drill sergeant, I told you. And for whatever reason, um, he wasn't a very sentimental kind of guy. I guess drill sergeants aren't allowed to do that. And I still remember to this day the, the first time as a, he did it once, I think, when I was in elementary. I can remember one other time, but this was the one that actually registered because my whole life as a child, I would, I would follow my dad around. I wasn't the kind of kid that hated what he didn't have. I sought after it. You know, because some kids, if they feel like their parents aren't around, they hate their parents. But I was the one that, oh, you know, where are you going, Dad? You know, you're going fishing? Okay, I'll go fishing. You know, that was, that was me. But I can remember to this day because I was a, a Division I wrestler at the United States Air Force Academy. And we were in an airport. We were traveling to Las Vegas for a wrestling tournament. And, and I don't know what was special about this day, but I remember this much because when my father and I had got off the phone in the airport, he without me saying anything, he said, I love you, son. And I tell you what, man, I was 158 pounds of lean, mean fighting machine. But I bawled that day in that airport. Because we all need to know that we're affirmed. We all need to know that we're loved. We all need to know that we're cared for. And the good shepherd says to us, I love you. I care about you. You're, you're, you're mine. You're my sheep. You're my, you're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. And he affirms us to the point that we can return to his house. We have full access. Do you have a neighbor like that? Do you have a neighbor that you can just walk in each other's backyard and borrow their lawnmower or things like that? You have a neighbor that, that you can just have a key, and that's what God does for us. Come, come anytime. Come anytime. And you know what? All the goodness and mercy is going to follow you. Good things. I've got nothing but good things for you. I don't exactly remember all the emotions that I was feeling that day in the department store amongst the women's blouses with flowers and whatever else on them. But I had an experience just this spring that changed the game. See, um, my son, he, he kind of has his own, you know, he does things his own way sometimes. And see, he had, a, he had his teacher uh, was away on maternity leave. And so he has a substitute. And somehow, somehow, he had decided he was going to walk home with his friends that day. We pick our kids up, we drop them off, and we pick them up because I'm overprotective, and that's just the way that it is. Uh, I had just gone, I was trying to get back, and it's actually probably the last time I have run. I was trying to, you know, I, I need to keep telling myself, I need to run, you know, that life is catching up with me. <laughs> it's always easier to stay in shape than it is to get back into shape. 
And I ran that day. I ran, you know, it was real simple. I, I got a little route. It's like two miles I could run to Daylight Donuts and back. You know, that's two miles. <laughs> I don't actually go in, but I think about it. Uh, <laughs> I was telling myself, one morning I'm going to run to Daylight Donuts and bring everybody donuts home. And I'm like, nah, I'm just, you eat cereal. That's fine. I just come back from running, and I was, I was doing a little warm down. like, whoo, whoo. And all of a sudden, my wife pulls up because she was picking the kids up that day. And, and I'm like, hey. And I look in, and my son's not in the car. And she's like, well, Jim decided he was going to walk home from school today. And I, I don't mean to scare you, but, you know, like, how does a kid without a note get to tell the teacher? I, I blame it on the fact that she was the substitute. But that's not what I was thinking at the time. I just came back from running. I was doing my cool down. I was ready to get some Gatorade and some air conditioning. And when she said that my son had decided he was going to walk home, all I could think was is he's lost. And I just took off running. And we're at least a mile from the school. And I just took off running. And I, I got to find him. I'm yelling and screaming, Jim, Jim, Jim. My son's lost. I got to find him. And from what I read in scriptures, God's not too much different. In, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me and they hear my voice. They come to me. As I read the truths in Psalm 23, that God guides us, he guards us, and he glorifies us, I realize this, that Jesus as the good shepherd, when we were ever in a point in time where we are lost and exposed, he's looking for you. All you need to do is stop and listen and hear the voice of God calling you, come home. Come home. Come home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we serve the one true God and that you are a God that loves us, that is enamored by us, that only wants good for us. But Father, we confess that sometimes that we stray. Sometimes we're lost and exposed. But I pray, Father, in those times we remember the truths of Psalm 23 and that we would just stop and listen and hear your voice calling us home. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.